You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. You know, this week, uh, uh, the title of today's message is Before You Freak Out. Uh, we're in this series called Worry, and it's five weeks total long, and today's week two of, of this series. And who doesn't struggle with worry, right? At some level, anxiety. Sometimes you might say, I'm, I, I don't worry, I'm just concerned, which makes you feel better, but everybody else knows you're worried. And, and uh, you might be sitting by a worrier right now, and uh, anybody sitting by a worrier? Yeah, nobody's going to raise their hand. <laughs> nobody's going to raise their hand. But this week, I, uh, I went out with uh, our youth pastor, Nick, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. And we went to Chick-fil-A. That's the Christian chicken place, uh, if you've ever heard of it. And so uh, we, went <laughs> we went there, and we went. They serve holy chicken there. So anyway, um, so we were there eating, and I, I got my waffle fries, and I got, oh, I, I don't know what I got. It doesn't matter. But anyway, so we're sitting there, and, and it's the one across the Orchard Mall, and uh, outside in the patio. And there was this beast that flew around right in front of Pastor Nick and I. It looked very much like this. So if you don't know Pastor Nick, he is terrified, terrified of bee stings. Anybody terrified of bee stings? Like you need maybe, yeah, yeah, there's some, some of you like that. So I'm not. So this is an opportunity for me. So I, I'm, I'm eating and I'm watching Nick and, and the fly, the fly, the bee is flying around him. And as God would have it, praise the Lord, it started targeting Pastor Nick. And it was, it was, it was just going like this. And he gets off of his chair and he's like backpedaling and the bee's just like following. He's like, ah! And I'm enjoying the show. I'm drinking my lemonade, and I'm smiling, and I'm laughing. I'm so cool. I mean, you know, in that situation. <laughs> so I look down, and, uh, you know, he has this vision of what this thing's going to do to him. I, he has this imagination. So I get another waffle fry and take another sip, and I look up, and this is what Pastor Nick looked like. And that, that, that's what he looked like. <laughs> I <was> like <laughs> that's what he believed. That's what he believed. So this is a good opportunity to give you the definition of anxiety. Anxiety is an automatic reaction to a threat, real or imagined. Real or imagined. So if it's imagined to you, like Pastor Nick thought, it was, this is an actual killer bee, just so you know what it looks like. But uh, th- if, if, this is what he thought was flying around, but it was really a fluffy thing that you want to put a leash around. But it was, uh, it was, it was totally different. But it's, it's this real or imagined automatic reaction. So it doesn't matter what other people see. If it's true in your eyes, if it's imagined in your eyes, then it becomes reality. Now that could affect our walk with God. That could affect our walk with God, uh, that right there. So maybe you came to church with a little level of anxiety. Um, A lot of people, it might be related to health, job, money, relationship, friends, our nation, whatever it is, there's a little bit of concern. There's some worry there. Here are the top 10 worries according to one study. One is work. That's number one, okay? That has to do with our livelihood, so that makes sense. Um, Why some people would be concerned about that, because we have to pay bills and all those other things. Financial worries, that's connected there. Being late. Um, Obviously, some of you don't struggle with that. We know who you are. Um, A relative or a a friend uh, or bad health, relationships, uh, missing a plane, train, bus, a subway, whatever it might be, Uh, not waking up for an alarm. That's a weird thing, but as a pastor, 
That's something that I worry about. On Sundays, I'm like, oh my word, I can't be late. I got to preach. And my worst case scenario, I don't typically sleep in, but I thought, sometimes the Lord has just woken me up because my phone died over the night or whatever. Um, appearance or family safety. Those are some things that we, we work. You know, the Latin word for anxiety means to choke. It means to choke. It's the same word, the old English word for worry means to strangle. And that's what worry and anxiety does. It chokes you. All you, can, you can't think of anything else. You lose your breath. You might even feel it physically, but it chokes you. You worry about him. You worry about her. You worry about it. You worry about them, whatever it is, and you worry, and it just chokes you. Sometimes that motivates you to do things that you shouldn't, that you shouldn't do. Um, I want you to hear this. It's not realistic. It's not realistic to try to live your life with an absence of anxiety-producing events. It's not realistic. There will always be something that has the potential to generate worry. There will always be something that has the potential to generate worry. Just, you have to know that. But incidentally, does it ever help when you're worried about something and maybe you go home or a friend tells you something like, don't worry? Does that help? Like, does it just go away? Like when someone says, don't worry about it. It doesn't go away, does it? You're like, well, thank you. I'm glad you feel that way, but it's my issue. It's my problem. I'm going to choose. Now, here's the difference. When Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus says, do not worry, it means something. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one whom all of creation was made through, and in him all things exist, and he holds all things together, and he is the resurrected one. And when he says, do not worry, that matters. That has, that has weight. I want to share with you a story involving this guy named King Saul. You know, today's message is, is uh, <clears throat> this title is Before You Freak Out. And as I prayed about this message, I thought about King Saul because, because he had anxiety and it, it involved a situation in front of him. Now, just a little history. King Saul is the first king of Israel. He's the first king. Scripture says he was handsome, too. He was tall. He was handsome. He was the people's king. They voted for him, and they got him. So that's who this guy is. And, and that, incidentally, Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. They said, God, all the other nations have a king. Why can't we have a king? See, we really never graduate out of preschool, but that's what they said. And so they, he said, all right, I'll give you a king. So he, they got a king, and this was the guy. So, so this guy right here, um, interesting guy. He made some big mistakes that cost him the crown. And incidentally, in his later years of life, the guy just loses it. The next king after Saul, anybody know his name? He's pretty famous. David. David. And Saul becomes jealous of David. And he spends much of his life pursuing David. You know, all the other political agenda that he had and concerns for Israel and the nation kind of went to the back seat. And he's, he's focused on trying to get David. But there's one, one battle, there's one mistake that really, really hurt him. This is probably his, one of his most famous mistakes. He made three, but this was, this was definitely one of the most famous mistakes. And this was the one that made the Lord say, you know what, I'm really sorry I ever made this guy king. I'm really sorry I ever picked him. And he just freaked out. There's no other way to say it. He just freaked out. He was in a situation, and there was this army coming about him. 
and he sees it. So in this freak out moment, you never see him actually engage in battle. You don't ever see him go to war. He doesn't pick up a, you know, a spear or a bow or anything like that. But he's watching the situation and everything's happening inside of his heart. You know, God sees your heart. God cares about your heart. You can't hide anything from God. And God wants to know if you trust him. God wants to know if he's Lord of your life. Jesus, if Jesus Lord of your life, is he your all in all? All he's looking at your heart. And nobody else can see your heart like God can. Your wife, your husband, your friend, your parent, nobody can see your heart like God can. God can see your heart, and it matters what your, what your heart says. So, so Saul is watching this whole thing go down, and there's stuff that's happening inside of his heart, and he kind of freaks out. Isaiah chapter, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5 says this. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. And they camped at Michmash, east of beth Aven. So was it really as many soldiers as the sands of the seashore? Probably not, right? But the exaggeration was there. You get the idea that there's this massive army, this force that's about to come, and they're about to attack Saul and his army. And, you know, 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and all these warriors, and it's already it's about to go down here. Verse 6, the men of Israel, and the men of Israel, what are those three letters, right? The men of Israel, what? They saw what a tight spot they were in. Now, there's the first indication right there. What you see can determine your reality, what you see. They looked at the situation, and they saw the tight spot they were in. And you keep reading, it says, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, this is exactly how they felt. They tried to hide in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and cisterns, which are dried up old wells, and they just, out of fear, ran, scattered. So they saw the situation, and these mighty soldiers of Israel just bolted. You see that, just bolted. Verse 7 says, Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. That's never good. <laughs> when you're the captain, when you're the general, and your people are trembling with fear, that's not a very strong army, is it? It's not a very strong, strong army, not a very strong team. And you see these circumstances. You know, sometimes God allows our, our army to desert us to test our faith in him. Sometimes God allows our army to desert us, whatever that army might be, whatever it might be. Fear generates anxiety. Anxiety affects perspective. Fear generates anxiety. Anxiety affects perspective. It does. It's a, it's a swarm of bees that are coming at me. Verse 8. Saul waited there seven days. How many days, church? How many days? Seven days for Samuel. Now, the backstory behind this, if you flip the pages a bit and you go to a few chapters before this, Samuel the prophet is the man of God. This is the guy who anointed Saul. This is the guy who eventually anoints David. And everyone respects Samuel the prophet. He's the man of God. So Samuel tells Saul, I want you to wait seven days. Because this is like waiting on God. That's what he's telling him. I want you to wait 
for seven days, you wait on the Lord, and the Lord will show you how to fight this battle. And you'll be successful, but you have to wait. So Saul, Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, and Samuel had instru- as, and, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel didn't come. And Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So just put yourself in Saul's shoes. He's like, okay, well, I got to wait for Samuel. He's the man of God. Where is he at? He's not here. I've been waiting for seven days. He told me to wait for seven days. And then he realizes the situation and, and the circumstances. And he's seen all my men, they're scattering with their tails tucked and they're hiding. They're crossing the Jordan River. They're trembling with fear. I want you to hear this. Anxiety is contagious. Anxiety is contagious. You ever experienced that? Maybe in your own home. You're trying to get out of the house or someone comes home from work or whatever it is and someone is worried or stressed about something and it's a matter of time till you become worried and stressed also and you're like, why are we so, what's happening? Why are we, well, it, it, it just leapfrogged into you and it's affecting you. You feel that vibe, you feel that spirit. Verse nine says this, so he demanded, this is what Saul says, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Big deal. Big deal. This was reserved for priests and prophets. It was not reserved for the king. And he said, you know what? I've seen, I've seen him do church before. I can do it. I've seen him do it before. I've seen him do the sacrifice thing. You know, we do, they do sacrifices twice a day. I, I, I know how to do this. It doesn't matter. Let me put on that hat. I can put on that hat. Now, the essence of that right there is pride. Pride lifts you up. A few weeks ago, I, I walked around with this rock <clears throat> to represent a hard heart. And you can walk around. This is just pride when you, when you think, you know what? I know it all. It's other people's fault. I know what to do. And you elevate yourself. That's pride. You don't have the ability to hear God, maybe anymore. You don't wait on God You certainly don't trust God, and you're the center of your universe. I wish I can say when you become a Christian, it changes, but there's a lot of people who look like this too. You know what I'm saying? Scripture calls them Pharisees. There's a lot of people that walk around like this too. Saul says, you know what? I know what to do. Let me just take care of this. Give me the lamb. (laughs) Give me the lamb. I'll take care of it. And verse 10 says, Just as Saul was finishing with a burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, What is this that you have done? It's like caught red-handed. Incidentally, anytime I do anything wrong, I get caught red-handed. So that's how my whole life has been. I think that was God's way of keeping me on the straight and narrow or something. I don't know. But uh, Saul replied, Um, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So Saul is saying, look, look at the circumstances right here. I had to take matters into my own hands. Just look what's happening. Look, this is what's happening. I know God will understand. We do the same thing. Same thing. we, We elevate our circumstances... And we lower God's capacity to do great things. 
We say our circumstances are so bad. I, you know, God understands my circumstances. God knows my, why I'm living like this. God knows why I can't do this. God knows why I can't give. God knows why I can't love. God knows why I won't pick up the phone. God knows, God knows, God knows, because I've had a hard life. Because my circumstances are so bad. You know what I've discovered as I've walked with God? I, I came to know Jesus at the age of 18. What I've discovered is God always cares more about my heart than my circumstances. Always. He's always cared more about what's happening inside of my chest cavity than anything out here. Now, he'll take care of out here. He's a good God. He can do that. Nothing's impossible for him. But it starts right here. He wants to know, is he Lord? Really? Like, of everything? Like, really? Is he your love? Like, literally? Like, really? Is he your all in all? Really? Do you really mean that? Is he your all in all? Really? And he wants to know if he's, do you really trust him? Do you really believe? And Saul does what we do. Look, my army was all tuck-tailing and running, and you don't understand the situation. It's your fault. Why are you late anyway? <laughs> Why are you late? You got to understand the situation. Then he says, so I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt, so I felt, what's that word? I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You've not kept the command of the Lord, Lord your God gave you. Let me just stop right there. Because Saul has a history of not keeping the command the Lord gives him. Saul has a history for being partially obedient. Partial obedience is disobedience in disguise. He has a history of being kind of obedient. He did it in another battle. God told him to destroy everyone, and the guy comes back with the king and a whole bunch of the best stuff from the battle, and, and, and Samuel shows up and says, what are, you, what are you doing? God told you to wipe out everyone. What are you doing? Partial obedience. You see that? That's a, that's a part, of, part of Saul's resume, this idea of being partially obedient. And, and then he, he said, you have, you have not kept the command the Lord God gave you. And then look at this. Had you kept it, had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. How long? Whew. Wow. Um, <clears throat> this is really, really unique because it's like, it's like Samuel is telling Saul, this is behind the curtain. You don't know what's behind the curtain. But behind the curtain, if you would have stayed obedient, your children would have been part of the king family and, and your grandchildren would have been part of the king family and, and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren and your great-great-great-grandchildren and your great-great-great-great-grandchildren and, oh, your whole, you would have had a legacy. You didn't know what was at didn't know what was at stake. It was a moment 
It was just a moment. But there's so much at stake. Do you know what's at stake in your life? Do you know what's at stake? You know, you being here right now at church, you're putting your life on a new trajectory right now. When you choose to obey God, it doesn't only benefit you. It benefits everyone around you. Do you know what's at stake? Do you know what's at stake? I believe the devil knows the power of the word of God. The devil knows when the word of God is put in the heart and the heart receives it. The heart's not like this, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And when someone receives the word of God and they believe this crazy foolish thought that says, you know what, I'm going to start living for Jesus. I'm going to let him be the center of my life. I believe the devil just knows that's dangerous because there's healing behind that. There's power behind that. There's new life behind that. There's redemption behind that. The enemy wants to discourage and divide and destroy. Whether it's a church or whether it's your own soul. The enemy ultimately wants you to take your own life. I just this week, uh, you know, I, I don't do a lot of social media anymore, but I do, uh, I do Twitter. I don't, I don't post a whole lot, but one of, one of a, a pastor from an, another uh, church, another denomination just took his life. Anybody hear about that? Broke my heart. But you hear about that stuff all the time. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to self-destruct. He wants you to rely on yourself. He's okay with you living like this and thinking the church is for weak-minded people and I don't need the church. And I don't. He's okay with you living like this because you're in a good place for him. You're in a good place for him. He's okay with you being in that position. God wants to give you new life. That's what Jesus talked about. I came to give them life. And from you, rivers of living water, that's the Holy Spirit, will flow from your belly, from your innermost being. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to bring healing to every part of your life. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience his grace and his love and his power. That's what God wants you to experience. And Samuel says, Saul, you didn't realize what was at stake. You didn't realize what was at stake. You were in the moment and you had an opportunity. And if you only did this, your kingdom would have lasted forever. Verse 14 says, But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a, a what church? Read it out loud with me. A man after. Who could that be? The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of the people because you have not kept the Lord's command. See, Samuel is talking about like behind closed doors. This is what's happening in heaven. And Samuel's telling them, look, this could have been your future and you screwed up and, and, and you, you just didn't, you didn't understand the moment and you, and you lost it. And even right now, they already had a meeting in heaven. They already had a meeting. They already had the guy picked out. And he's a shepherd. He's watching a bunch of sheep. But God's been training him. The ball's already in motion. It's already happening. And Samuel is telling Saul all this stuff. Augustine said this, anxiety is always a sign of the collapse of a false god. 
anxiety. See, anxiety happens. Saul put his hope in his army, and when Saul's army started deserting him, the hope started deserting him. So Saul sees the army, and they start scattering everywhere, and Saul's thinking, oh my word, it's too late. Now the army, you know what? We're going to lose this battle because my army is deserting me. It never dawned on Saul that it doesn't matter what happens with the army. As long as my God is with me, I have nothing to fear. It never dawned on him that it doesn't matter what happens with the army, because God could send an angel and wipe them out. He can do whatever he wants. But he saw the army, they were deserting him, and he said, oh my goodness, now I've got to do this, and I'm going to take the burden. And he freaks out. He doesn't lean on God, he's leaning on his army. You know, it's really easy to fall in love with the blessing and not the blesser. It's really easy to fall in love with that career or fall in love with a job or to rely on your resources and you forget what got you there. It's really easy to forget that stuff. And Saul is just, don't put your hope in your money. Don't put your hope in your job. Don't put your hope in your husband or your wife or your friend. Don't put your hope in any of that stuff. Your hope is in the God who loves you. Your hope is in the God who loves you. Some of you men need to hear this. Would you be at church right now if your woman wasn't here? You be the leader. You be it. Your hope is in the God who loves you. Before you freak out, remember where your hope is at. Remember, anxiety can lead you to, to prematurely take matters into your own hands. In Isaiah, it says this. This is what God tells the Israelites in Isaiah. Do not fear, for I am with you. Isn't that a good word? Do not fear, for I am with you. The whole idea behind that is not only do not fear. This is different from like, don't worry about it when your spouse says, or your friend, or your whatever, don't worry about it. This is different. God is saying, do not fear. And why shouldn't you fear? Because God is with you. And that's what, that was Saul's gig. It's like, don't worry, Saul. God is, he's, gonna, he's with you. You don't have to worry about the army. And then it says this, do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know the words do not fear. Um, do not fear is mentioned by God um, over 367 times. Let's put that up, Ezra. Do not fear is mentioned by God. I love this. This is like a real picture. This isn't a Photoshop thing. I love this idea of, you know, uh, I'm just going all out. There's nothing greater than a man who fears the Lord, who's willing to do anything for God. One person with a conviction is worth more than a thousand with an interest. There's nothing stronger than someone who says, God, I'm yours. There's nothing stronger than that. Some of you, you, you fear being alone, or you fear not having enough, or you fear your future, or you fear the unknown. Don't fear not because I said it, because God says it, because he's with you. Joshua says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
You don't have to be afraid. Do not anxiously look about you. That was the, that was the command. You know what that looks like? <clears throat> you can look at things with anxiety in your eyes. You can look at your work situation with anxiety in your eyes. You can look at circumstances. You can look at a bee with anxiety in your eyes. <clears throat> Don't look at it with anxiety in your eyes. Anxiety can make you forget. Have you figured that out yet? Remember the days of school, high school, college? Um, you can forget the answers to that test because of anxiety, right? Anxiety can make you forget a test, answers to a test. You can forget where you put your keys because of anxiety. Where did I put my keys? Anybody struggle with that? Where did I, I, I don't know where, I don't, you know, use a clapper or something like that. Where, where did my keys go? Or you can forget why you walked into a room because of anxiety. You know, you walk into a room and you think, well, I know I came in here for some reason or something like that. You can forget what you're going to say because of anxiety. I see it all the time when people, if you're not used to public speaking and you go up in front of a crowd and the bigger the crowd, and you're like, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. I rehearsed this already, whatever it is. But hear this, you can forget who you are and whose you are because of anxiety. You can forget it. Psalm 94 says this, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Isn't that good? That's so good. When you, when you have anxious thoughts multiplying like a rabbit inside of your head, you just turn to the Lord. He delights your soul. Exodus 14 says this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. This is a special word for me. Um, <clears throat> I was at a pastor's conference, and, and uh, this is the days when we had our school, so I'm just going to be really open and vulnerable with you guys. And and I remember I was sitting in this pastor's meeting, and I got an email, and it was from our administrator that we hired, and he said he was resigning. So we had a school for 18 months. As a leader, it was probably one of the most challenging times of my leadership life. It was a really, really difficult time for those 18 months. But I remember seeing that email, and I knew that was going to be the trigger that was going to just, you know, the, the linchpin that was going to start a whole bunch of events, that, that email. And um, one, of my, one of my good pastor friends of mine put his arm around me, and he said, hey, brother, <clears throat> I'm going to be praying for you. And he said, the Lord gave me a word to share with you. Here it is. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. That's what he told me. I said, thanks, brother. His name's Keith, Keith Morgan. I said, thanks, Keith. I appreciate that, man. And, you know, sometimes when we hear an encouraging word, you know, like you hear it, but you don't really hear it. You know what I mean? Like, hey, God told me to tell you that. And you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's just being real with you. Or somebody tells you, you know, it's going to be okay. Or I'm praying for you. Like, yeah, 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 whatever. But the word of God is so strong. So this guy tells me this <clears throat> in another city, going at a conference. And he says, Reuben, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Literally three days later, I'm at Chili's. And I'm meeting with another guy, and this other guy, is, he's an organizational coach. And I'm meeting with him, and I'm learning from him, and I tell him a little bit about the situation. And he doesn't know the first guy that talked to me. And he, at that, at Chili's, he says, Reuben, there's one more thing I need to tell you. And I said, what is it, brother? And he says, I need to tell you this. The Lord put this in my heart to share with you. Here, here it is. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's what he tells me. Do you think that was of God? Do you think God does things like that? 
Do you think God is that big? He sees what's going on in your life and he can use people and he speaks to you. You think God knows that? Now, when he said it, sometimes we need to hear things two times from two different people to get our attention because we're not, we don't listen very well typically. But when he said it, it put me back and I, I, I sat back and I was just ready to ball right there. In the, I was sitting in the booth at Chili's on 120th. I was just ready to ball and I'm like looking at him. I'm like, like air came out of me, and I, and I was like, this is of God. This is of God. This is not of my wife. This is not of anyone at church. This is of God. And he speaks to me like this, and, I'm, and then I, I just told him, I, I said, you have no idea what you're saying. Maybe he knew what he was saying. And I just told him, God, God is using you right now. And for those next six months or so, which was really painful. You know what I thought of? The Lord will fight for me. I only need to be still. It's like God prepped me. He prepped me for a battle that I didn't know was coming. Prepped me for a battle. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you got to worry, you got anxiety. First of all, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And then he said, if you do, here's what you need to do. Pray. Pray. Praying is the most powerful thing you can do. Don't pray after you've exhausted all of your own ability. Don't pray after you've called all these other, you know, your husband and your wife and your friends. Don't pray then. Pray before you reach out to anyone. Pray. Pray. And say, God, what do you want me to do? We meet every Tuesday night in this room at 6.30, and we pray for, for this church and the community. You're welcome to join us every Tuesday at 6.30. Pray. <clears throat> I like what Max Lucado said. He said this, no one can pray and worry at the same time. Isn't that good? No one can pray and worry at the same time. It's like praying for your enemy. It's really hard to hate him when you pray for your enemy. Like praying for the person who backstabbed you. It's really hard to be resentful and to have bitterness in your heart when you pray for that person who hurts you. It's really hard. It's really hard. I've tried it. It's not easy. But God cares more about your heart. Pray. Trust God. So what's happening here? <clears throat> what's happening here? Are there any Saul's in the house? Any Saul's in the house? Anyone come to church and you know, take matters in your own hands? <clears throat> What's the Lord doing? I want to give you an opportunity to turn to the Lord. Uh, let's bow our heads, guys. If you're ready to ask Jesus into your heart, would you just say this? Say, Jesus, right now I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Take all of me. Or maybe you consider yourself a Christian, and maybe your prayer needs to be, God, I want more of you. Forgive me. I don't want to be partially obedient like Saul. I want to be completely obedient. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I completely surrender to your will, God. I give you my, my home, my future, my past, my present, myself. Do whatever you want inside of me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and speak to me.
in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.